Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Hail Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28 and now roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. Weekend editions here at Tailbar City Radio. We're presented by Currency, Chris Schmidt. And Elijah Herbal, Mark Cranach on assignment this morning, so we'll catch up with him next weekend. We're pretty loaded up. Been an interesting week in Nebraska athletics. We'll dive there. Not only a chance to meet uh, the experienced and, well, kind of part of that inner circle of Texas high school football with Bob Wager, but uh, the new uh kind of brand of coaches you have coach mcguire both met the media this week of course oscar's in the super bowl a very real theme going into tomorrow's game with uh, cam jurgens jack stoll and dominican sue and dicaprio boodle chiefs eagles will get thoughts on that big opportunity for nebraska basketball this morning or this afternoon i should say is Wisconsin comes to town, another air quote winnable game. Uh, And, uh, you know, winter conditioning rolls forward and the pursuit of Riola keeps intensifying. Numbers to get in this morning, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Those are the numbers to dial up on Hale Varsity Weekend Edition. can email the show, chris at halevarsity.com, and uh, we invite you to check the show out, ESPN Lincoln, but also on Facebook and on Twitter, uh, at ESPN Lincoln Facebook, ESPN Lincoln Twitter, the Hale Varsity YouTube channel, and the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter handle as well, at HVarsity Radio. So uh, we'll rewind with Russ Hochstein, Really good sit down with Russ on his time in New England, his time as a Husker, and then uh, Brandon Vogel and Gary Sharp in hour two. That's the uh, the news and notes. Think of your Cam Jurgens, Elijah. Think of this journey for you, what you've done, how you've wowed, how you've had to adapt to the NFL, which you've done. And he's he's the highest pick. Uh, of a Nebraska player in 11 years. He's behind a Hall of Famer in Kelsey. And this is the kid's first postseason. Because he didn't go bowling. But he's able to uh, let his skill set shine, take the coaching, uh, and, and let someone project a position for him. All right, dude, we know you're super athletic. We know you're super explosive. Uh, you might just be another tight end uh, 
or you could be a big-time difference maker at the center spot. He's been a bright spot for a lot of years for Nebraska football on the offensive line. And uh, while he's had a year to learn and study and and seen some spot duty, uh, he gets to experience running out of that tunnel down in Chandler tomorrow. Yeah, and that's for a guy who the last time he played in postseason was his senior year of high school for the Beatrice Orangeman. Like, that's crazy to me. That's just crazy to think about. The last time this guy played in postseason was back in, uh, that'd be 2017, my senior year of high school. And now he's playing on the biggest stage. Like, I, I know college is supposed to prepare you for the NFL in a way. Uh, as you you go through your college career, you're supposed to get better. And, and Cam Jurgens did get better. You need to prepare physically for the NFL. But nothing in college will prepare you for going and playing in the Super Bowl, especially whenever you're sub-500 every single time you're in college. So I think it's good for Cam. But, man, what a, a shock to the system this has to be to 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 be on a football team this good that's going and playing for it all after years and years of just toiling in the, the muck and the mire of Husker football to go to the mountaintop of football in your first season in the NFL. It's pretty weird to think about. Pretty weird to think about. I think Nate Gary as well as you know he is a fifth he's a fifth round guy. I'm getting some horrid echo right now. Is that better? But Nate Gary is a guy that you know found his role was pretty explosive for Nebraska and part of that uh, initial Super Bowl championship with with Philly. A couple of good stories though on Cam is uh, his family's. Uh, Salt of the Earth, Proud Farm family, and I invite you to read those. But, you know, I look at Nebraska, and uh, this is just something that we'll see what they do and how well they do, because I think it's coming. And we touched on it a little bit earlier in the week, and that's kind of the, the, the tinkering part of things, right? Cam Jurgens is an example of tinkering tinkering from tight end to center. Uh, Hassan Raddick's an example of a tinker. Safety to outside backer or hybrid guy by Philly in the NFL. And Elijah, we're going to see a lot of tinkering, finding best fit, be it the offensive lineman that Nebraska brought in for this recruiting class. Do they stay on offense? Do they move to defense? Or uh, do they they move – uh, entirely. Who who knows? But tinkering's been good for Nebraska football when you go back to that switch to the 4-3 defense uh, with Ed Stewart and some guys that were uh, really high-level plays, Jamel Williams for sure, Terrell Farley, and even on the, uh, the defensive side of the ball, um, guys that were going to be outside backers moved to defensive end, like the Jared Tomiches of the world. What was his position in the NFL? It was middle linebacker, but he was a beast of a defensive end uh, for Nebraska on the line of scrimmage. So, you know, tinkering will be good, and you just got to kind of trust the tinkerer, uh, and I think Matt Rule's done a good job with that. And credit where credit is due. I mean, Scott Frost, the guy that's taken a lot of shots over the past couple months since being uh, let go from the University mm-hmm. of Nebraska, but let's give credit where credit is due for seeing that that talent projection of Cam Jurgens as a sinner because – not many people actually did see that. So give some credit because I mean he's a, a six foot four, two hundred and forty pound tight end, athletic as hell. Like you remember that that video from his senior year of high school where he 
uh, I think he he jukes a dude, he spins around a dude, he jumps over a guy, and then he drags the defender into the end zone back for his senior year for like a 70-yard touchdown. I'm not sure if you remember that highlight or not, Schmitty, but the dude was a very, very talented tight end. And when you look at, at what Scott Frost needed in the Big Ten, I mean, tight end was an, an important position for him. And he took that guy in Cam Jurgen and said, you know what? First year on campus, first couple of months on campus, and, and you're a sinner, bud. And uh, he was right. Like, and Cam's even said that in interviews since then. Like, you know what? After my first couple of months on campus, I did realize I was tired of running routes. I liked blocking a lot more than I liked running routes, and, and it was the right positions for me. So credit where credit is due to uh, not only Scott Frost, but to Greg Austin as well for, for making that switch in the first place. But back to your, your point of tinkering, you still sit here, and we've had this conversation over the past couple of weeks of, of what candidates are there on this team for for tinkering and position switches and, and where could guys go. And I'm sure as this team goes through winter conditioning, some of those questions are, are starting to be answered, and we probably won't know till spring or maybe even fall what some of this tinkering looks like. But I think it's going to be uh, a good amount of it as we go through spring ball just because of, of how uh, competitive it's going to be fighting for a roster spot. You know what? You, you want to see the field. We see you as a fullback, bud. You, you want to give it a go as a fullback. I, I'm curious to see. That's Probably one of the, the most curious places I am just from a, a a a place of man Husker fans have been calling for a fullback for years. A fullback is the the classic quintessential Nebraska position. I do wonder what what a fullback room could look like once fall rolls around and who could be in that room. What guys uh, potentially move over from the defensive side of the ball? What guys maybe backup offensive linemen? Do they see you as a little bit more athletic to go in and play fullback in in third and short, fourth and short type situations? So. Uh, a lot of potential for what this Matt Rule staff can do with tinkering, just because you know I think guys are going to be more willing to do it. And uh, that's a, kind of the hallmark of a team player is who's willing to, to put aside what they think about themselves in order to, to you know, get on the field. And uh, it's a big question to me moving forward is how willing is this team going to be? I'd assume pretty willing to, to you know, uh, go through that tinkering, go through that process with Matt Rule. If you want to get on the field, you got to do what the coach says. But uh, we'll see what that actually looks like once spring rolls around. Well, there are some comments uh, this week by Trev Alberts. I think the World Herald had it uh, when it came to uh, the, and I'm going to paraphrase some of it, but uh, just the the topic of Fred and Nebraska basketball and, you know, very complimentary by Trev Alberts. Not a vote of confidence, not a he's back, but a, hey, you know, Fred's, retooled his philosophy. Fred's got him competitive despite injuries. And he's, for lack of a better term, pretty impressed with the job that that they're doing. It's an easy team to watch and root for. I didn't say offense is easy all the time. (laughs) That's me, not Trev. But no, it's, it's what you want. You just want more wins. Uh, he did leave the door open with, you know, you know how competitive are they as we wind down the season, I think is important. He didn't say he's not coming back. He didn't say he's coming back. But the hint and tone was, dude, Fred, you're, you're, you've been dealt the worst hand imaginable. And you're doing a hell of a good job. That's That's my – deciphering that's my interpretation and while trev was not going to say 
definitively that he's back this week. He did say in about a year ago about Fred and, and also commented on Scott with, all right, these guys are coming back. He said, it's, I'm not in the habit of making comments and discussion points on a coach's future in season. You had to last year in both instances. He did. And, you know, it'll be a big game for Nebraska here as great effort poured a lot into the tank against Michigan. That thing could have been 30. Uh, and uh, Michigan couldn't miss. Now you get Wisconsin. Uh, you're underdogged at home. Wisconsin's mortal. They're not uh, vintage Wisconsin. They're on the bubble, quite honestly. And uh, I know it's a three, three o'clock tip off today, so it should be, uh, should be pretty good. And, you know, you ask yourself, has Fred done enough to deserve another year? And it's too bad that you, you waited so long to make your change. But at least you've made the change. And, and I'm anxious to see the young guys, some of the guys that are going to re- be returners, you would think. And then what do you add in the portal? Because that's going to be key for you. I think, I think he's done enough to be back. Um, I've not been shy about that. I was leaning that way a couple of weeks ago. I don't want change right now. And I, and I understand your pain as a Nebraska basketball fan, too. Totally get it. Because you want more wins. You want excellence. You want tournaments, even though it's been what it's been, right? So I'm uh, kind of right there, Elijah, with – um, with Trev and what I see and what you see with Nebraska basketball. It's a product that had to, had to do a major overhaul with what they were doing, who they were bringing in, and how they were playing to the Big Ten, but, but they've adapted to the Big Ten. And I, I think the problem in my mind is that if this was year two for Fred, which you could even kind of make an argument that this is a, a true year two based on the adjustments that he's had to make, and uh, it's – an indictment on him that that he didn't have the right plan coming into the Big Ten, but uh, it's forgivable whenever you look at the fact that this is year two, I think, of having a cohesive plan of what he wants for the Big Ten, a plan that uh, at least seems more likely to work than than the original idea he had coming in here. You go, yeah, you've, you've probably seen enough, but the simple fact of the matter is that it isn't year two. And it's a results-driven industry, college sports, especially uh, the, the two money-generating sports in college football and college basketball. That That it's uh, it's results driven. You you, you got to get wins on the floor if you want to keep your job. And Fred simply hasn't done that. But at the same time, I ask myself, do I think Fred Hoiberg is a good basketball coach? And the answer is yes. It, it's every single time. Yes. Whenever you look at the, what he's done with some of his talent over the past couple of seasons, you've seen Husker basketball teams that aren't as talented as the, the, team, the foes they go face in the Big Ten and aren't necessarily equipped to go beat those teams that they play in the Big Ten. And they Really haven't done a lot of beating those teams in the Big Ten, but uh, I do think that that the team, especially this year, is more competitive and is playing so well because Fred Hoiberg is a, is a good basketball coach. I think Fred Hoiberg has a, has a smart mind for basketball, and that's what, what leaves me feeling a little conflicted on the whole Fred Hoiberg situation. Because with, with Scott Frost, when you look back at that, I also think Scott Frost is still a good football coach. Uh, was he good for the Big Ten? Probably not. But was he a good football coach? Yes. But then you, you look back at his history and he made some decisions as a head coach that make you scratch your head in terms of is that what a good head coach would be doing uh, in terms of onside kick in Dublin? I don't want to 
kick that horse dead horse too much or uh, the Georgia Southern game. But there was just questions in your mind where you went, is this a good football coach to lead the Husker football program? And the answer was no. And you look at Fred Hoiberg and you go, this is still a good basketball coach, but the results haven't been there. And it hasn't been because of his coaching acumen. I don't think it's been more because of recruiting misses and not quite understanding what you need to to win in the Big Ten. And then he's made the switch and this team's gotten more uh, competitive. It looked better this year. Injuries kind of derailed it. And I'm still on the fence about Fred Hoiberg because as I said, like, I think the dude is a very, very good basketball coach. I think he's a good dude, and I think he fits the state of Nebraska well. But simply put, the results haven't been there. No, and and the the problem is is what your plan was and how you did it before you you came back to college, and you just got it wrong. Uh, early on. We'll take a time out and we'll get to Russ Hoekstein. That's on the way with Hale Varsity. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio. We welcome in a Husker standout, All-American, two-time Super Bowl champ with the New England Patriots, and he's done wearing the parka because it's actually warm in New England. Russ Hochstein with us. Russ, uh, it's it's February. It's Super Bowl week, and we thank you kindly for jumping on. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. As long as the weather's like it is outside, it's hard to be complaining. So usually you roadie to Florida. Is that in the works, or is that uh, not doable? I mean, are are you getting warmer climates in the future, <laughs> or are you are you kind of stuck back east? I will. I'm I'm still back east, but uh, my our school break for my children is coming up in another a little over a week. So I will be in Florida for a week coming up, and I can't wait. I, I thought so, but uh, hey, uh, it's going to be quite the the weekend down in in Arizona with the uh, waste management open going on, and then of course the uh, the Super Bowl. And you know, was that something that was was constantly on your mind, like in your football career? It, it was the Super Bowl something that yeah, you want to get to, but is it something that was like a focus, a driving force for, for your, for your game? Oh, I absolutely. And, and fortunately I, you know, I came in the league in 2001 um, with the bucks and, and we lost in the first round of the playoffs. And then in 02, when I came to new England, they had just won it the year before. And then the bucks went on and won it and ironic twists. So everything has always been centered around the driving force of getting to the playoffs, winning, getting to your conference championship and Super Bowl. So absolutely, uh, without a doubt, that's, you know, I fell into some teams that, and obviously we went to it uh, often enough when I was here. Um, that was the one thing that drove everybody because there's nothing like winning the Super Bowl. And that is the end and ultimate goal for all players and teams is to get there. And um I, I don't think there was any other thing you ever thought about all year. It was winning as many games as regular season for good seeding in the playoffs and then get in the playoffs and just find a way to win week after week. 
and get yourself to the big game. And, and uh, I was lucky and fortunate enough to be on some teams that did that. And uh, we won it all, and it, nothing like it. So absolutely, and I still get giddy this time of year. Um, I'm totally pumped. I was actually walked in my house about 10 minutes ago and threw on the NFL Network because they got uh, live Super Bowl coverage going on, and it's just fun to watch and see how things have changed over time and what things have stayed the same. Russ, with the Super Bowl, were you able to soak it in, or was it more of a exhale that, all right, it's over, and we got it handled, we won it? And you've won two of your Super Bowl wins were in – dramatic fashion against Carolina by a field goal and Venetary doing his super toe thing against the Eagles in 39 and I mean just not only going back to back but just being able to 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 knock that out and then of course the the expectation in New England I mean that was what you guys were supposed to do was go to a Super Bowl and, and win one absolutely and uh you know, when when you're in it, when you're in the middle of it, um, I was asked this question a few years ago. I think when you're in it, you don't really soak it in the the whole. How do I say the drama of it or the show showcase? You know, side and in the heat of the game. Once that kickoff happens, you know you're so into the game. You know, and I think it takes you a couple months when you get home from the Super Bowl to really soak it in. And go, wow, okay, we were out there for four days. We saw this or this these things happen and you, you kind of catch up on the media coverage. Cause when you're there, I think you really just drown yourself in the football side of it um, because you don't want to get lost in all the distractions that, that, that comes with the Super Bowl. And then, you know, and then I've, <laughs> I've been out long enough now and I can say, now I look back and there's little tiny things. I remember that when I played, it really wasn't on my mind. And now you look back and you watch things and you're like, Oh yeah, that was going on when I was there too. You know, they always talk about, uh, announcements for the Hall of Fame and things like that, and we totally you kind of blew right over that when you're playing. And then, uh, but as a fan now and being out of it for a while, those are things that come back to you. Russ, take me back to that 2003 season where you know what you were still a guy who was young in the league, learning, trying to to earn some snaps. Then the postseason rolls around and you start earning a lot more snaps. And uh, I'm pretty sure you had some pretty talented offensive linemen ahead of you on the depth chart to start that 2003 season. And I ask because. There's a current uh, former Husker on the Philadelphia Eagles that's been biding his time uh, sitting in the wings. And you never know, he may earn himself some playing time in the Super Bowl. It'd uh, probably be, God forbid, an injury to Jason Kelsey that would allow that. But tell me about that experience of, you know what, biding your time on a really high-level championship team. And then, you know what, when the postseason rolls around, you get your chances. Oh, absolutely. I was, um, you know, I I was always, I came in, I was young. Um, I came to this team and then I had made one start previous to starting in the playoffs uh, on our 03 Super Bowl run. And uh, I performed well enough that they, they trusted me. And I was kind of a swing guy. So I played either guard, center, both guard, center. I could be an emergency tackle. And then they used me at other spots, whether it be tight end and fullback and, and different uh, sets and things like that on offense. And uh, I was smart enough to learn and be able to do those things and, and play it. You know, I could be plugged in at any time and help. And uh, I just, I really think my coach, my O-line coach, Dante Skarnacki, who's one of the greatest of all time as an O-line coach, probably in the NFL. And uh, he just prepared everybody, whether you're in, you're the, if you're suiting up on a Sunday, um, your mentality was, I can go in and play at any moment. And you have to be clued into the game. You have to know what's going on. And we followed all the sideline adjustments. You're always a part of all those huddles and things like that. And, uh, 
you know, and I, God forbid, and, and God bless me, I was able to go in and at a, a moment's notice and then the playoffs and then never look back from there on playing in that run of uh, the playoffs and into the Super Bowl, and I was just part of the group. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the seventh, eighth, or ninth guy in your line. Everybody works together. You're a band of brothers. You're a group, and everybody knows it. And, um, you know, there's, there's little things that separate somebody who starts 15 games a year from another kid who probably swings three or four games a year as a backup. So um, you always have to be ready. And, uh, and sometimes, uh, actually, with the times I started, I thought it was sometimes easier because you just knew you were going to be in there as a, as a backup. You always had the nerves like, oh, my God, three-quarters of this games went by. Now I'm getting plugged in. These guys are all lathered up and ready to roll and got the flow and the momentum of the game, and now i got to come in and catch up. And um, But I was lucky enough to be able to do that and, and, and play at a good level and a high level with those guys and, and uh, just help my team win. Russ Hochstein, few minutes, Super Week, and it's uh, Super Bowl thoughts from a two-time champ with the Patriots. And uh, Russ, a great Husker, uh, late 90s, as he went on to, to win a couple of rings with New England. So, Russ, uh, let's get into Coach Belichick. And what what's the, the trait or personality um, part of him that, that has stood out to you as you look back at, at how he's been so good for so long, winning championships? What when it came to leadership of the team and in your professional, I, I get it, but how did uh, Belichick get all of those ingredients to, to cook? Well, I think he, he was completely uh, determined. I, I always feel like if you weren't in the playoffs or you weren't in the Super Bowl, it's a failure. <laughs> as simple as that. Like, yeah. I, I just think he, he has been around the league so long. Um, he knew what it took to get there and he's been to so many of them. He knew how to, to coach a team to get to that point. Um, you know, the season is a little bit of a marathon and it's not always how you start, but it's definitely how you finish. And a big part of that was once we got to November, um, Thanksgiving, that's when we used to kind of joke. That's when the real season started, because that's when you put your late season push on, prove who you are, play at a high level, um, execute, you know, get down in and down, you know, down in, down out and things like that. And, uh, and really turn the tide, for your season, and uh, he did that better than anybody. And and as detailed of a man as he is, he spread that to his team. You know, whether it was situational football, um, whether it's how to handle a fumble on the sideline, whether you're on the offense or defensive side. Um, you know, what do you do if if you're you know you got a minute thirty left, no timeouts, the ball's on a certain yard line, you need a field goal. You know, he made sure the team was always clued into all of the details that he worried about. So that there was no, um, you know, mis- misconception about what we're going to do at the end of the game, and we we're very well prepared at all times. And I think that's what drove him for all those years. And then, of course, you got to have good talent, the Tom Brady's of the world, and and good defensive players. You know, the the Mike Vrabels and guys like that. And and um, you know, you put it together, and you hope it works, and it, and uh, your players have to execute and. For the most part, over 20 years, they have here. How did he motivate? Was it was it fear? Was it, man, this guy's given me a chance, so I have loyalty to him? What what made guys want to play so well? Or was it intrinsic with, with just the, the, the personalities he collected and signed and drafted? A little bit of all of that, but I would say the biggest motivating factor is winning. 
Um, you don't get older veterans to come to your team and buy in right away without being a winning franchise. Um, I think that's single, you know, first and foremost. Second is, yes, it's reading the players you have, putting the, the personalities together that will get along, that will work together, that will row the boat all in the same direction. And, um, you know, and, and maybe there's some new guys coming in and there's a little bit of fear down there at the bottom when you're first starting out. And then there's praise as you get older. And uh, so he knows how to, to do that really well. And that comes from years of coaching experience. And uh, he did it as well as any coaching – or as, I, I should say this, of all the teams I was on, he did it as just as well as anybody, if not better. And, and that's probably also another big reason why he's one of the greatest of all time at that. So – um, but winning was number one, and he used to have a saying, winning is good for all. You win, a lot of your problems go away, or they at least can be pushed off. If you lose, it all comes to the top, and that's when you have problems. So uh, um, winning is good for all, and it motivates everyone. Russ, in your opinion, how important is the, the coaching factor whenever you're evaluating this Super Bowl? I mean, you played under Bill Belichick, one of the greatest to ever do it, and the Chiefs have another guy who's probably going to go down as one of the greatest to ever do it, and Andy Reid going up against Nick Sirianni, who's a little bit on the younger side, hasn't been there and done that. And I want to get your take. How important is that going to be in a game like this where the Eagles have the talent edge on the roster, but I think the Chiefs have the talent edge in the coaching box? I would, I would agree. I would agree with both statements. Uh, I think both sides are extremely talented, whether it's coaching staffs or players. So first and foremost, you know, you don't get to where you get without being talented on both sides. But yes, I, I, I do think um, the Chiefs sideline has probably more experience. They've already been in a Super Bowl. They've been in one not too long ago. And, um, you know, going back to this, this, our own thoughts of like the Bill Belichick world and the era that we were here, you know, you know how to warm up for games. There's little tweaks that come into a Super Bowl that can really throw people off and distractions that throw people off. And, and if you've been through it, um, I think you know how to manage it better maybe a little bit and how to handle distractions, how to keep your team focused at the right time and on an upward trend as you get into the game. Um, so there's not this whole, hey, we have all this hype, and then there's a letdown, you know, right for the Super Bowl for some teams and things like that, and you come out and you be ready to play. The other thing is, Veteran staffs in the Super Bowl always, and I remember Bill saying this too, the game is played completely different from first half to second half. It may not always appear that way on TV, but whether it's calls, adjustments, you know, momentum swings, because it's not really a home field advantage. And uh, the Super Bowl, and then there's, it's the longer time or halftime in between and all those things, and they play into this where, where you know, emotionally as a player, you're, you know, you gotta you got to kind of handle the, the distraction of that longer half time. Hey, come in, start, talk slow, you know, work your way up as you get out of the door and be ready to warm back up for the second half because it is longer and it's something you're not used to. So older staffs, or I should say more veteran staffs, probably know that. Um, younger staffs might, may not know that. Um, but, again, talent usually will find a way to percolate to the top and can win a game. So it doesn't matter whether you've been in one of these or 30 of these. Um, you know, and, and how the ball bounces, whether you turn the ball over or whether you don't, will have a huge impact on who wins and loses. Russ Hochstein talking Super Bowl 57 and his memories of the Super Bowl with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Russ, is there a kind of a flashbulb moment or memory for you with, with Tom Brady, either in a huddle or a big play or a moment in one of the Super Bowls? I, I always uh, – that's a great question. I have a lot of great memories of the Super Bowls. But uh, I just remember my first one in 03 uh, in Houston when we came out 
and standing in the tunnel, they held us back for like, you know, 20 seconds. We all came out of the locker room and then they kind of held us by uh, the overhang where they come out and it was kind of dark because they were going to open this thing and all the, the smoke and fire and all that goes off. And I just remember looking at how quiet um, and all the years I played football, you know, you got guys screaming, yelling, ready to rock and roll and how quiet it was. You know, as a group, like we're 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 locked in, guys. Were, and I remember Tom was always at the front of that because he'd run out and do his famous "Let's go" at the other end. And I just remember him turning around, Troy Brown and a few others, and just the looks on everybody's face, like "Here we go." And it was there wasn't there wasn't a smile, there wasn't a nervous look. It was just that dead stare of "Let's rock and roll." And and uh, I'll never forget that to this day what it took that first time running out on the field for a Super Bowl was like. And uh, I remember looking at all those guys as they were out in the front of the, the pack um, standing there, and it was like, well, those are the guys we're all relying on. Their, their leadership, they've been through it. Here we go. And uh, definitely great memories. And, and there's some things I probably never can repeat either because of the language, but uh, we had some good huddles. <laughs> we have a bleep. <laughs> I don't want you to lose it. I don't want you to lose it, guys. Russ Hochstein's with us here. It's Hale Varsity Radio. And Russ, when you look back at those Super Bowl memories, I just need to know, what's the better memory in your mind? Is it hoisting the Lombardi Trophy on the field following the game, or is it that Super Bowl parade the next weekend in uh, in Boston? Oh, I got to uh, – they're both awesome. Um, probably the field – being on the field, though, and having your family come down. I don't know if they're allowing it like they used to when we were there. But as players, we used to find our families in the stands and get them down on the field. The confetti's coming down. I don't know if there's – if there's much of a better feeling than that um, to have, because you're standing on the field, you're just done with the game. It's raw emotion. Everybody's looking at each other and you're like, man, we just did this. And your family gets to stand next to you and celebrate. It means a lot. You know, the parade, the parade is a whole nother different level because you just can't believe this many people come out to celebrate with you driving down the street um, and a bunch of duck boats. And uh, that's pretty amazing in itself. But uh, I would have to say I'd probably lean towards the field just because your family can be a part of it. Well, Russ, before we get you out of here, who do you think is going to be hoisting that Lombardi trophy this year? Is that parade going to Philly or is it going to Kansas City? Uh, I believe it's going to Kansas City. And the, and I and I would say that because I think there's – and you, you touched on some of these points earlier. I think there's a little bit more experience on that side both coaching and players. Players have been through it. Um, and I think their quarterback's a little bit uh, – he's, he's definitely got a longer tenure than the other one and has been through it um, and been through it in the last few years. So I, I like their chances a lot. Um, but we can't sleep. No one can sleep on the Eagles as well. I think they're a loaded roster, and so we'll see what happens when they come out and, and uh, that ball's kicked off. Russ Oakstein with us. Russ, enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks for sharing your – time playing in the Super Bowl and, and always great to get caught up with you again, man. Well, guys, I hope if you're if you're betting on the Eagles, I hope you win. If you're betting on the Chiefs, I hope you win. But uh, who knows? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm betting on the Gatorade bath color. Yeah, the, Elijah's <laughs> diving into a whole different side bet. I like it. Russ, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have fun and enjoy the weekend. Like what you hear? High-quality radio and podcasts are just part of what we do at Hale Varsity. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe 
and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. Early to rise with Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Here's Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Thanks for hanging out. It's Hale Varsity Weekend, presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Big thanks to uh, Rick for listening. Again, I'm getting feedback um, and uh, excited to uh, to move into hour two here. Brandon Vogel going to be with us from Hale Varsity. We'll spend time with Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, as uh, he'll join us, Elijah. But really awesome to, to run Russ Hochstein down, two championships with New England. Uh, long, very uh, incredible career. Russ was always about doing the little things. It turned into big things and was uh, an All-American lineman for the Big Red uh, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Played with uh, Dom Raiola, Tony Finotti, and a uh, really awesome line and uh, really powered that 1999 team. And then you saw what he did in New England. He kind of laid out Mr. Jack of all trades. That was his role. And uh, slid in and, and did a great job. Uh, during one of their Super Bowl runs. So Russ is a humble guy, but man, he's a really, really talented individual. Good to get his perspective on the Super Bowl. Yeah, and and I almost see his career, and I guess I didn't see the the college side of things, so uh, that I leave out. But he's almost uh, Will Compton before Will Compton in terms of an NFL career, just a guy who is gritty and uh, is going to keep on fighting. And you know what? You may not have been drafted very high or, or drafted at all, but... Uh, you know, he's going to go fight and, and scratch and claw for his NFL career. And that's what he did. You know, whenever he got a chance, he took it. And that's kind of exactly what I saw from Will Compton. I'm not saying they had a same career in, in that sense, but just the kind of guy that was going to do whatever it took to to get on the field and help his team win. And uh, got a couple Super Bowl rings to show from it and made a, a very solid career for himself in the NFL based on, you know what, his own hard work. Uh, the The fact that he may not have been the most talented guy in the NFL, but uh, he was going to commit himself and he was going to work hard and uh, he, he's enjoyed the fruits of his labor. So uh, it's great having Russ Hoekstein on. His his perspective is great before a Super Bowl and uh, just uh, especially in the wake of the, the Tom Brady news. He, he played with the best to ever do it. He won, won rings with the best to ever do it. It's just awesome to hear from him. Well, you have uh, Coach Rule on the uh, podcast circuit. The next round was a show he was on this week. And were you telling me the backstory is this is a, a local show that Rule and Satterfield would listen to on their way into the office? And they've just kind of kept connected with the folks. Is this out of Chattanooga? So it's somewhere around there. Uh, and it started out uh, Satterfield listening to them whenever uh, he was down at UT Chattanooga. And I uh, used to listen yeah. to them every single morning. And then whenever Satterfield got hired by Rule at Baylor, uh, they would carpool to work together. And Satterfield had these guys pulled up every single morning listening along. And uh, whenever Coach Satterfield told them, that, oh, yeah, me, me and Coach Rule listen every single day. Like, oh, we got to have Coach Rule on. And these guys have kind of built a relationship with Matt Rule ever since then. So not only was it a, an insightful interview, it was just uh, kind of fun to see Matt Rule hanging out with guys that have known him for forever. And, and I think it kind of speaks to what we've heard from a lot of people who've known uh, Rule for a long time, Paul Meyerberg and, and such, that 
Uh, Matt Rule's just a, a genuine guy and, and loves that human interaction. You kind of see it on display with the, uh, these guys in the next round. Well, here's a snippet from the, uh, the Rule interview, specifically the topic of rebuild and uh, how similar uh, a rebuild Nebraska is when you look at Baylor, when you look at those Temple blueprints. Where's Nebraska at? I think it's the same steps. It's um, getting the right people, coaches, recruits, staff, getting everybody on the same page, um, having really high standards and trying to build relationships. The difference here is when I got to Temple, you know, they were moving up into the American Conference, so it was a step up in conference. When I went to Baylor, we were coming off a scandal. We had 45 scholarship players or so. We had three scholarship offensive linemen, four scholarship offensive linemen. We're certainly further ahead here. But, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's been several years now of three and four wins. And so I don't want to minimize that. Uh, the thing I'm trying to get our guys to do is what I did at those other places was just work every day. Like, let's not tweet about how good we're going to be. Let's not talk about bowl games. Let's just let's just show up today and work and kind of be a little old school. And um, if we do that, uh, these kids love Nebraska. They'll, they'll, they'll find a way to have success. Good plan. <laughs> just get better today versus talking about it. Do it. Uh, more from rule here. The future of college football. It's an interesting time, right? You got the thumbs up for Baylor and I should say for Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC. We're not far removed from the fact UCLA and, and USC are going to be moving neighborhoods. But uh, here is Coach Rule on where college football is going. Well, you know, I think um, obviously I'm a traditionalist, right? Like I miss I miss the old conferences that I grew up on. So, But that's not where we are. So it's just it is what it is. Um, I think it, it's a really good thing for the Big Ten moving forward in that we're kind of like the NFL. We're kind of a national conference that stretches from the West Coast all the way across to the East Coast. For me, it, it kind of positions us in a good place and that we're in the middle of the country. So, you know, you know, we go out to UCLA and USC. It's not a tremendous, you know, it doesn't tax our bodies too much. We go to the East Coast, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the Penn States and Rutgers and USC and UCLA, the, the, the accommodations they have to make going across the country. But, um, you know, Lincoln Riley's a great coach. Chip Kelly's a great coach. You know, those programs are up and running. So it'll only make our conference better, you know, as we ha- head into the uh, – 12-team playoff era. Can we sneak in Hassan Reddick? Let's try and do that. His role in the Super Bowl, the topic of tinkering, because Reddick's one of those success stories. You know, first of all, the credit goes to Hassan because he just got better and better every year. You know, I first took the job. He had already walked on the year before. And Fran Brown, who's the DB coach at Georgia, one of the best coaches in the country, in my opinion, uh, Fran said, hey, Coach Rule, you played for me. Hey, there's a kid here that was you know, here last year. And so it was just about getting him in the right position, right? So we tried him at outside. He was a safety. We tried him at outside backer. And then eventually we moved him to edge. Um, it was going into his senior year where, like, he had been a good player, had been all conference the year before, but was like a seventh-round pick. And all of a sudden the light went on. You know, I mean, that's the one thing in this era now, the transfer portal era, the NIL era, the come out as a three-year guy era. You remember the old days when a guy would redshirt and kind of his senior year, all of a sudden he become a dominant player. Well, Hassan's one of those throwback guys. And um, we went out that that year, and it's just like the light came on, and he dominated every game that he's in. And I think I saw that last week, you know, in the in the conference championship game. It's like he just took over the game, was getting to the quarterback. And I would not be surprised if he did that in the Super Bowl because, 
mean, here's a kid who walked on from South Jersey, from Philly, played at, he was from there, played at Temple, got drafted in the first round in Philadelphia, uh, has this journey through all these teams. Now he comes back, he's all pro in Philadelphia, and I was going to play the Super Bowl for the Eagles. I wouldn't be surprised, man. That, that guy's going to write a storybook ending. Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office. Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone, you're not customer-facing, it's casual dress, and the work environment, it's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing, and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at fscedge.com. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Has come for someone to put his foot down, and that foot is me. Back with you, Tower Two. It's the weekend edition. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Mark Cranach on assignment this morning. We welcome in Brandon Vogel, HaleVarsity.com and magazine at Brandon L. Vogel. On Twitter is where you find him, managing editor, and uh, his book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Vogues, uh, we're getting down to the finish line here, a football season, Super Bowl tomorrow, and the offseason continues to be very interesting for Nebraska. Coach Wager, Coach McGuire uh, met the media this week, and man, they are two Texans that are all about being in Lincoln now. And uh, they've kind of brought that, oh, that, that Texas swag north. Uh, and, and I know Nebraska fans are eating it up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Texas Texas Thursday this week at, uh, at Memorial <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> I think uh, if, if, if things, things go the way that they've designed them to with this coaching staff, they'll have more than a couple of Texas Thursdays uh, in terms of players coming coming back, coming up to Lincoln. Um, you know, I, I think the history of Nebraska recruiting is, well, it's, it's national and it's everywhere. We're well aware of that, but you kind of got to find your, your pocket. And, and sometimes, you know, that's been Louisiana. Sometimes it's been New Jersey, Texas, of course. I mean, Texas has sort of always been there. You go back to 1973 and Tom Osborne's first class, which is kind of, I, I keep all of those signees in the spreadsheet and kind of look at them that way. I mean, Texas has supplied the most Huskers, at least scholarship signees in terms of recruits 
uh, of, of any state. And, and Nebraska is second. Um, tells you tells you about Nebraska, tells you about Texas, too, just in terms of the sheer volume and quality of players that have always been available there. So if Nebraska is successfully able to, to kind of get back in there, um, that's, that's a pretty good development. What, what is unique about, and this is a broad take on Texas players, everyone is individual and has their own strengths and weaknesses, I get that, but what is a separator for you, if we're to just kind of label in a good way, a Texas recruit versus a California recruit versus Jersey or Florida, uh, Georgia. I mean, there's your there's your five food groups of let's go get dudes from there uh, while winning the 500 mile radius battle and in state battle. All that being said, Texas players do what for you? What's their trait? Uh, I think just the magnitude of football itself is is the differentiator in, in my mind. I mean, we've all seen, you know, kind of and, and gawked at occasionally the stories of, you know, multi-million dollar new stadiums for, for a city um, that, you know, not just rival in a lot of cases are better than, than some of the G5 stadiums that, that current FBS programs are are playing in and, and, and the, you know, it, it becomes a little bit of a cliche, but the cliche comes from somewhere, right. Of, you know, just how big those games feel in Texas. And it's not that high school football games aren't big other places, but you know, I can be in Georgia in five minutes and, and, and Georgia has a proud high school football culture, a lot of talent. We've seen Nebraska be involved down there a lot more of of late and it still doesn't quite in my opinion my experience rise to what i've seen uh of high school football in texas and i think that's ultimately ultimately it there's also a piece you know maybe the last 20 20 years or so where high school football in texas you know was really kind of in lockstep i think with the offensive evolution that was happening in college football primarily the move to you know, spread concepts. I mean, Art Bryles before building Baylor and then sort of inadvertently or advertently, however you want to view that, uh, kind of tearing it back down, uh, was, was a high school coach. Uh, Joey McGuire, Garrett McGuire's dad, was a high school coach. That, that's all well aware. Uh, we're all well aware of that story at this point. So I think those two things, like if you're playing high school football in Texas, you're probably getting as close to a college experience as you can have in the high school ranks. And then there's also just uh, the level of coaching and execution and talent there, I think, plays a role too. So, Brandon, whenever you look at just the the high school football culture in Texas, you briefly mentioned Joey McGuire, Garrett McGuire's dad. What is growing up in that experience to Garrett McGuire? Like, what does that mean to you? Because Garrett McGuire is a guy that a lot of people doubted whenever he came here, and I'm, I'm still seeing some doubt. Former Husker Kieran Williams hopped on Twitter uh, yesterday and, and, and I guess – uh, for lack of a better word, just doubted the hire of Garrett McGuire, saying, uh, man, there's nobody else out there. I guess it, it does show it's more about who you know than what you know. There, there's just that doubt whenever you look at a 24-year-old position coach at a place like Nebraska. So what does it mean to you that he grew up in, in that, that lineage of, of high school uh, football in Texas? And, and, and I guess from listening to him on, on Thursday, has your trepidation around Garrett McGuire been lessened since this hire was first announced? 
Yeah, I think there will always be a, uh, a deal of inherent skepticism just with somebody who's who's that young because w- we don't see it very often. So so what did his experience growing up uh, in a football household with a father who was a high school football coach, what did it mean? It, it means you can hire him at 24. Um, and I mean, I know there's still a lot of people out there who, who think, well, maybe you shouldn't have. And, and let's be clear, like it would have been – much easier for for matt rule to choose a coach who you know is at the advanced age of 28 or whatever that still would have been seen seen as you know a young and up and coming hire to go all the way to somebody who who isn't just 24 but very much looks looks 24 um i I understand why why it gives people pause but we'll get it sorted out soon enough and i think once you know, we move past the getting to know you stage of this new staff and these new assistants, and they actually just get to start coaching. Um, you'll start to hear from the players in, in Garrett McGuire's room what they think of him. And then the results, you know, will always speak for themselves on Saturdays, and, and that's the, the most important part. I, I look at rule, and there's favors that, that happen in, in all forms of work, right? You got a buddy hire, you got a, a family hire, but ultimately you, you've kind of got a Matt Rule hire. And and with with that, he ain't gonna spare anybody. He may give you an opportunity because your dad's money or there's some history there, but ultimately you, you better swim or or else. And I firmly believe that. Uh and as far as Chiron's comments. Uh, I like the guy. I mean, we've interviewed him. I don't know how many times over his career and always kind of rooting for him, but that's uh, the, dare I say, beauty of social media. You can uh, come off the top rope and it is what it is. So I no, you, you don't, you don't bring him to Carolina and you don't see the Carolina whiteouts flourish like they did if the kid can't can, call him a kid, <laughs> the kid can't connect with, with guys. And, and I think that will happen. And I honestly believe Vogues and Elijah that you've got to have something different, just flat out off the wall, different in the wide receiver room in college football and quarterbacks stir the drink, but you've got diva central man in, <laughs> in the wide receiver room. In in college, in high school, and for sure as hell in the NFL. So you just got to be able to get someone's attention, get them to do what you ask. Doesn't matter how you get them to do it. And I think maybe that might be part of Garrett's genius uh, or appeal where Pop-Tarts and Honey Buns, sweet. Uh, all right, let's do what he says. Let's see if it works. So you just got to you got to be able to connect. And and that's that's rules mo is he's going to find a way to connect with you and he's going to find a position coach that will do what he wants and their task is to get you to go buy in and go kill it with uh, your job that specific play yeah you know and and coach mcguire spoke about that this week um when he was when he was up there i mean i don't for me I don't think you can undersell the fact that he was in the NFL and, and he was at Carolina. And I mean, you think about the ultimate kind of sink or swim 
scenarios um <laughs> to, to take a to take a, a young coach like that who's dealing with 28 29 professionals um 29 28 or 29 year old professionals guys who have been around the league in some cases guys who are making a lot of money like if if you can have resonance uh, if matt rule is is willing to bring a, a coach like that to lincoln after that experience tells me what I need to know about how he kind of assimilated in that situation. In a lot of ways, I view college, which he's not much older than a lot of these guys. And, and in some cases, he's not even, um, <clears throat> but he's somebody who's been in college, uh, who, who played college football and has a little bit more experience on, on those players that are coming through now. So if anything, it probably got a little bit easier for him, I would think. Brenna, I guess the, the 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 biggest area where I still have concern with a guy like Garrett McGuire is just that 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 the unpredictable nature of college football. That if being a Husker fan over the past couple of years has shown people anything, it's that you should expect the unexpected and that weird stuff is gonna happen whenever you're talking about a team full of a hundred something eighteen to twenty two year olds. So do you think that there was or potentially was a candidate that would be more prepared to, to go handle things uh, like the unexpected, whenever it happens, a 24 year old hasn't seen a lot of happen has happened in college football. Whereas you compare that to a guy like Mark Whipple, where I know there's a lot of complaints about a guy like Mark Whipple, but he's really seen it all in the game of football. There's nothing that's going to surprise him. So how do you, you balance that with, yeah, you have a guy that has a, a lot of potential in Garrett McGuire, but also there is some inherent risk of bringing in a guy who's 24 and doesn't have that much experience actually being hands-on as his, his own position coach. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's really no substitute for, for experience. And, and like you said, I think Whipple's a, a good example, you know, however anyone may have, have felt about how that the 2022 season went from a offensive point of view, I kind of look back on it and say, well, you know, it was a year one for a new coordinator, which always struck me as, you know, kind of a, a bold bet to be like, well, we're going to, we need some new ideas. That's, that's what they felt they needed to address uh, some of their struggles. And, but we also knew coming in, it was like win now or, or else. And we all know how that unfolded, but at no point were you ever, did you ever lack the confidence that, that Whipple was going to run into something he hadn't seen and you know, and that's that's just a trade-off. I think you, I think you address that from a head coaching perspective, perspective with the other other play or other coaches that you hire. Uh, your own experience, you know, it's kind of like a, a hand of cards. You're looking at not just can this can this guy um, co- coach the position and do the recruiting and all the stuff I need him to do, but can he do it in a way that meshes with with the coaches over there? And you know. of rules plan is to be that mentor. He's not going to expect McGuire to be able to put out every fire and do everything at this young, young age. He's going to be there for him to bring him along. Or there's a guy like Wager that has seen and done it all for obviously first time in high in, in college but he's not far removed from high school. So uh, dealing with some of the young guys, um, it's not going to be that foreign to him. Folks, I want to get your take on, on the secondary as you've got uh, all starters returning, Hartzog and 
Buford and Farmer and Newsom and Gifford, right? And you've got some experience depth. You've got Braxton Clark and Omar Brown and Singleton. How tough of a spring do you anticipate it being for those kids that are still here, knowing what Travis Fisher did and brought to the room, but also understanding that, you know, there's a pretty good uh, level of respect for Coach Cooper. Uh, So, you know, um, glass has half full, half empty, don't know. I'm not I'm not in that room. But do you anticipate things off on the right foot with that back end that listen, I know three three five or whatever it turns into is gonna be different, but you've got a good starting spot, a solidified good group returning for now, anyway. Um and, and I think it's it's an important tone center, isn't it? For for just Nebraska overall, how, how's the reception and relationship of that secondary with this new staff? Yeah, I think it should be a tone setter, not just for Nebraska in the spring, but really all season long. Like if, if Nebraska is to, to have the 2023 season, I think everyone listening to this presumably hopes they can have, like that secondary should be a strength of the team and needs to be a strength of the team. And that's one of those those transitions between previous staff to this staff that um, I don't I don't worry about a, a whole lot. You know, Travis Fisher in in my mind, and, and we saw this in, in listening to him do interviews over the course of five seasons. Like, was very very demanding, but also kind of very professional. Took a very professional approach. And with this staff, you know, with Cooper in particular. Uh, coming over from Carolina, that's the world he was just into. And he is also seems to be a very detail-oriented, um, driven type of coach. So I think you're going to see a pretty good transition there. I mean, the fact that Travis Fisher is now at Syracuse with Rocky Long, uh, Tony White's Tony White's mentor, also says a, a little something to me about what I think this staff is going to find in that that defensive backs room once they get the chance to to really start working with and instructing these players. Um, I, I, I would be surprised if it were a rocky transition. NFL Combine, All-Star Games. We had a chance to talk, to talk with Searles this week, and he's been making the rounds with guys he's repping. And um, you look at, at three guys that got the invite to the Combine, and uh, Mathis and Vokalek, uh, Palmer, who do you who are you betting on? Who do you think has the best chance at a pro career? And I'm not asking someone to go be Levante David or Indomic and Sue. There's guys that are playing in the Super Bowl tomorrow, i.e. Jack Stoll, that found a role and you know has filled in for uh, for that that tight end spot, and he's uh, he's carved out a nice career. Stoll has, but as we project, I think Nebraska could have some nice names called here this uh, this upcoming draft. Uh, do you think Vokalek's a guy that, that could could wow? Do you think Palmer's a future star? Do you like, um, uh, you know, Mathis? Because, listen, he, he has showed up, uh, at least here, uh, in front of the scouts, right? And he had a really good finish with that. And he was pretty dominant against Iowa. I mean, that's how I remember Mathis with – his pressures and hurries that fourth quarter. 
Yeah, of of the group that got the combine invites, I think I think Palmer is is the best bet to you know have a extended NFL career. But I think you're right. Like if uh, if I were kind of betting on a, a little bit of a longer shot, it, it would be Vokalek in my mind. Um, and I think you know somebody like Jack Stoll is is a useful example there. Um, good tight end at Nebraska, kind of found the right spot in in Philly and. Here we are. He's playing in the Super Bowl tomorrow. I could see something similar, you know, maybe not as quickly as, as it ended up happening for Stoll, but I can see something similar for, for Vogelek. You know, a guy who didn't end up getting that combine in by in, in Garrett Nelson. Um, I think what we know of Garrett, he will definitely use that to to probably even redouble his efforts of, of what he's gonna do between now and, and draft day. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule him out either. Um Garrett, just seeing what we, how he carried himself at, at Nebraska and what he was able to do as, as a Husker. Brady, when you look at the the Husker career of Trey Palmer, I mean, the, the single season was the best single season wide receiver we've ever seen at, at Nebraska. Uh, when you look at the stats and I, I want to get your take. Is it possible for Trey Palmer to go down as the greatest or one of the greatest Husker receivers of all time, despite the fact that he only played one season. That's the difference between him and a guy like, you know, Irving Fryer, Nate Swift, Maurice Purify, Stanley Morgan. I mean, there's a lot of been a great, a lot of great receivers that have come through here and had great careers, but no one's had that single season like Trey Palmer. And part of that's due to the changing nature of college football. But having only played one year here, can Trey Palmer go down as one of the Nebraska quote unquote greats at the wide receiver position? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a t- uh, kind of an uphill fight um, just because it was one season. I mean, not even a full 12 months in terms of his, his total time on campus. And, and, you know, and Trey was, I always enjoyed hearing from him because he was, it was clear he was very kind of individually driven, uh, a pretty quiet guy for the, the most part. And that's, that's totally fine. But it was another one of those, it's, you know, I don't know if, People got a chance to, to truly know him over his time in Lincoln. And then there was also, you know, Nebraska as a team just wasn't very good for stretches in, in 2022. He still put up the single best receiving season in, in Husker history. But I kind of look back at it and think of some games where, you know, either from how teams chose to defend him or whatever it may have been, it was just it was just kind of quiet from him. So I think all of those things contribute to, yeah, he's probably you know Husker fans are going to remember somebody like like Nate Swift, um, somebody who had a little more time probably first over over Trey. But I think when you really dig into it um, and look at the fact of what he was able to do on a team that was four and eight, uh, it should only burnish what what that twenty twenty two season was in my mind. Yeah, to your point on consistency, I mean, I remember Purdue and Iowa and smile about that because those were those were fun. Like, you see a guy go off. That's awesome if you're a Nebraska fan. Then I'm like, okay, guy got locked up by Illinois. You're like one key. Anyway, Minnesota and Illinois disappeared. Well, and who was throwing, who was throwing him the football that game? Away. Who was throwing him the football that game is the problem. If Casey Thompson remains healthy all year long. Well, for a while, you had Casey Thompson throwing him the football before he got knocked out. For a, a quarter. But my question is, like, if, if Casey 
Thompson does get knocked out of the game. How many yards does Trey Palmer go for last year? That's another question in my mind. If you look at this, he set the single season receiving record and he may have left 200 yards on the table with the amount of time that was missed by, by Casey Thompson. He, he was not getting by Witherspoon. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that one in particular, I mean, that's, that's a really good football player. Um, you know, as, as people found out this year, and I think they'll, they'll continue to find out in the months ahead, but yeah, it's, it's those games there where, and, and again, I think to Elijah, to both of your points really is like, we saw Trey's individual ability, his physical gifts, um, what he was able to do in the best, you know, kind of scenarios. And, and that was, you know, kind of the thing I'll remember from that is he did have to play without his, his starting QB for, for a stretch. And it was playing on a team that really struggled to run the football in, in big 10 play. Uh, I mean, you go back to like 2019 LSU where he, he started his career previously you know, you put him on a team like that and he, he may not, his individual season may not have stood out as much, but he probably puts up more yards, has another extra two or three touchdowns just by the nature of, of the team strength. So whenever, whenever I'm thinking about players and what they were able to do, that's always kind of a big factor for me. Uh, is, okay. How good were you and how good was the team you were on? Brandon Vogels with us, Hale Varsity Managing Editor, .com and Magazine. Get your print and digital subscription today, HaleVarsity.com backslash offer. Vogels, what are you doing this weekend, and uh, what's on the docket for Hale Varsity? Yeah, so obviously we've got basketball uh, both days this weekend. Jacob Padilla is actually out on assignment at the Heartland Hoops Classic. That's an event he's covered for for a long time. So for those of you who are interested in, in high school hoops coverage, Jacob will actually be out there today. Drake's going to pitch hit for him on, on men's basketball. See, see if uh, the Huskers can maybe take advantage of a slight opportunity here at home. But um, other than that, working on the, the February issue, which goes to print next, uh, next Wednesday morning or Wednesday morning, I guess, in this case. So, if you're uh, not a subscriber at this point, still time to get in and get that that February issue as your first issue. Uh, Drake wrote a great profile, Maggie Mendelson, uh, current reserve for the women's basketball team, but we also saw her on the volleyball court this this fall. Um, and then we've got a big softball preview as as they get their season underway in in the February issue, um, yeah, with some some high expectations for Nebraska on the diamond this year. Should be good, folks. Thanks for the time, bud. Appreciate you jumping on. All right, guys, have a good one. All right, there we go. Sharp uh, in the green room. Excited to uh, hear from him here in a little bit. Uh, it is uh, Gertie has made her appearance, the German Shepherd. A uh, quick timeout, and uh, we will get all of that Chiefs love shortly here with the Iron Horse. Weekend edition continues. It's Hail Varsity presented by Currency. Hello, listener. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to let you know about a special deal just for listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast. We're offering $10 off the annual subscription price. That means that you can get everything we do. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for 10 
$10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them, straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Back on a Saturday morning edition of Hail Varsity Radio as Schmitty makes his return. Schmitty, you letting the dogs out? We're good. We're good? What? Are we back or are we... Uh, we're back. Yeah, we're back. Wonderful. Yes, I had to get water for the German Shepherd before she pawed me. We welcome in the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp, uh, Elijah Herbal, Christian, Mark Cranach on assignment this weekend. Sharpie, how's the, uh, the weekend, man? Good to see you again. I got him muted now. Gary, you muted yourself. Yeah, hold on there. Now can you hear me? We're falling we apart. We're, We're falling, falling you, apart. Technology Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, no, it's Super Bowl weekend. We got a lot of sports. You got Nebraska and Wisconsin today. It's kind of, you know, the, the thing about it is we've had like nonstop two months talking about Matt Rule. This is kind of like the dead period because there's nothing until, you know, the start of spring ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually kind of like the downtime and, of course, Super Bowl weekend. So hope you guys are doing well. Y'all look good. We're uh, we're good. Good to see you. Love Fargo. Uh, it's been a while since I've been up to Fargo. Yeah, great movie. Great movie. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. That's Sharpies. a, smooth, that's a smooth smoothie. Yeah, the Hail Varsity uh, and uh, Hail Varsity YouTube channel can watch this uh, glorious show every morning. Uh, I, I can't believe they. I can't believe they. Uh, they named a whole city after that movie. It's incredible to me. Yeah. Um, it's quite, quite good. Are you sub zero <laughs> up there or is it uh balmy in Fargo? You know what? It's not bad. It's, uh, it's below freezing, but, uh, it's okay. It hasn't snowed here for a while. So most of the streets are clear and yeah, it's not bad. I, I do like Fargo. Fargo's a, Fargo's a lot larger city than I think most people realize, but it would be tough about six, seven months out of the year to live up here. You know, you just, you just get those five months of warm weather so you can hit the lake or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, it, it is uh, frigid a lot of times, but they uh, they do well and they uh, they have their own language. It's really cool up there uh, <laughs> with their their tone and accent. I love it. But give me more North Dakotans on the offensive line, right, Sharpie? Oh yeah, guys that can lift a lot of weights, that can push a lot of people around and, and be good in the Big Ten. Just strong ox men that kind of like remind you of Paul Bunyan. That is not in North Dakota, but it's over in Minnesota, eh? <laughs> and uh you know the big blue ox yeah that's what they, we need they, we need they, more up here they they tend goal and catch fish i mean it's it's wonderful um so <laughs> you you mentioned rule and uh where things are at we'll, we'll start there any takeaways from you with uh with with wager and mcguire just from their presser you know what so i i think if there was a head coach that didn't have a, a track record of hiring garrett mcguire type uh people you would be very, very hesitant on this hire. But Matt Rule has a track record doing that because that's kind of what happened to Matt Rule. I think, you know, Garrett McGuire is exactly who I thought he was. Someone who is young, that is very excited, loves the opportunity. And I'm sure in 10 years, we're going to look at this and go, man, that was an upcoming star. 
I, I wondered about a young person in a wide receiver room where wide receivers primarily are divas. I don't think any of them are going to disagree with you. And he seems to have the right vibe. And when he went into, you know, the honey buns and the pop tarts and guys coming in and hanging out with him, I think that's a good sign because remember they got 16 scholarship wide receivers. So there's spring football is going to be very interesting because there's not going to be 16 scholarship wide receivers when we get to the start of fall camp. So he's got a chore on his hands to figure out that room, but he is everything I thought he would be. And it's kind of, isn't it refreshing guys to have somebody more closer to Elijah's age that is, you know, a football coach and like is excited, like just talks. He doesn't talk in coach speak. He talks in Garrett McGuire speak. So I, I was, I was kind of, that was a, that was a fun little, uh, a moment with him to to hear him, uh, you know, meet the media for the first time, and all of us to get to know him. Well, Sharp, you, you say closer to my age. He's, I think, a month <laughs> and a half older than me, which is just so crazy for me to wow. think about. Um, but one of the comparisons that I have seen a, a lot in recent weeks since this this hire has been announced is that that Lincoln Riley comparison. You know, he was 24 years old whenever he became a full time uh, assistant coach at Texas Tech way back when. You, you've seen the career of Lincoln Riley since then. Is that a fair comparison to make for for Garrett Riley and the potential that that Matt Rule apparently sees within him? I mean, I, I think potential um, because when Mike Leach hired Lincoln Riley, did we go, oh, here's the next guy? But it goes back to a point, Elijah. It's about the head man, you know, the head man making a hire, a head man having a knack for projecting talent. And I also think you do that when you're hiring a staff. You project that down the road, Gary McGuire is going to be really, really good. And this is the prime opportunity for him to learn under you. Um, And again, probably any other coach that doesn't have a track record of doing this, we're wondering really still out loud about this hire. But he at least gives you a little comfort level. And then he says, hey, Garrett, just go be yourself. And Garrett's himself. And, you know, I mean, the last couple of days, everybody's fallen in love with this kid who is 24 years old. I mean, that is that is amazing. But you look around college football. I mean, we got coaches that are 32 years old, 33 years old. The Lincoln Rileys of the world that aren't even 40 yet. I mean, it's it's becoming a younger man's game. And it's really not a surprise. I think you nailed it. You need a special that Midas touch to connect with that room with that group of, you know, that, that wide receiver room, Sharpie, it is, it's, it's, uh, it's its own world. And however you get them to do what is best for them and they want honey buns and pop tarts, so be it. Um, it's, it's being able to connect. And I think that's going to be the, the secret sauce, so to speak with, the staff yeah. with with if if and when things get turned around, I mean, it's going to be about the the relationship part of things that turn into to, to actions and 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 plays on the field, right? Guys, look at it this way. Look at two examples in that room. You got Xavier Betts who is back, and Matt Rule has invested in the person, hoping that that will help out with the player. And then you've got Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, who left this program when he wasn't happy with his touches. Now he's back and going through spring, and is it a make-it-or-break-it spring for him? You've got Bonner, who we didn't see last year, but there's a lot of promise. I mean, it's a, it's really is with 16 scholarship guys and a few more that could get on the field. It is a fascinating room, and I will be curious to see how he structures it and how it breaks apart because I think when we get to the season, I mean, what are we looking at? Maybe nine max that we could look at in a rotation, and then we whittle it down to about seven. So there'll be a lot of competition there. 
And, and that'll be like the first test. It's really, if you look at the two hires in the offseason where you went, hmm, let me think a little bit about that. Offensive line and wide receiver. Well, look at, look at what their spring is going to be like. They're going to have a lot of competition, and they're going to have to make some harsh decisions on guys that are going to move to the forefront and guys that probably aren't going to play that may decide to jump into the portal after spring. So those are two positions that, you know, Nebraska needs them to be good, but it's two coaches that, you know, they've got an interesting spring ahead of them and trying to figure out where bodies are going to go and, and what is the best fit either to get to five or get to three. Gary Sharp with us, the Iron Horse, Hale Varsity Radio Weekend Edition. Gary, uh, we were talking about this yesterday and, you know, what's the, the right answer here with what you need at quarterback. And I know what Nebraska has on the roster. There's some unknown with guys that have been in the room. You've got Casey Thompson that's back. You've got Sims that's a dynamic athlete. You've got the Riola factor on the horizon. And you have his skill set and the hype around him. What, what does Nebraska need at quarterback? I wanted to get your, your take on this. We had a fun chat yesterday okay. afternoon about it. You want that, that program changer? Do you need a program changer? Nebraska's always had good dudes at quarterback for the most part. They rarely fall into the serviceable category. Um, and, you know, what do you need to win? What, what's, what, what, what's that quarterback got to be? Yeah, and, you know, this is going to be a discussion until we get to that Minnesota game because you have two guys that are in the running where one day – Aren't you guys saying, ah, I think it's Jeff Sims. The next day you're like, man, I heard Casey Thompson is like taking the lead during Matt drills and all of that stuff. And you're like, here we go. First of all, I think they need somebody to stay healthy. You know, it's been very rare that Nebraska's had a quarterback start 12, 12 games in a season when they've gone to the 12 game schedule. And both of these guys have missed time due to injury. I also think you don't need a quarterback to be Superman, but I think you need a quarterback when it's time to be Superman, you are making plays, your clutch. And I think just to to get guys in the right spot and to run the offense effectively. I also think it's not just on the quarterback, but as we saw last year, man, you have to have such a you have to be in sync with your OC and the quarterback. They've got to be on the same play the same page. Hey, I can't do this. Don't we we I, I you can't make me do this because it hurts our offense and, and, and vice versa. So, you know, that's where Marcus Satterfield An advantage for Jeff Sims is Satterfield's going to see up close what Jeff Sims can do in real live action. You know, Casey can be off on the side and get mental reps, but you're also working with the wide receivers. But I think just being consistent and making plays when you need to make plays and getting the offense in the right position on every single play. And you know what? And don't ride the roller coaster. Even if Nebraska has a boring, just simple quarterback that just, you know, throws the ball at 64, 65% completion rate and moves the ball down the field, I think Nebraska is going to be fine. Gary, this is the 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 see, most competitive quarterback battle we have seen since when, yeah. in your opinion? Uh, that's Newcomb a good question. Crouch. I mean, you might have to go to Crouch and Newcomb um, going back a ways. So I look at you that, know, that you, year you can... with, uh, with Taylor Martinez and Cody Green and, and Zach Lee. That was a, a, a really good one. I think that was 2010. Yeah. And, you know, and that was just a case of, all right, when Taylor gets up to speed, um, are you going to unleash him and let him go? Yeah, no, I I think there's very few instances where we could all say, honestly, there was a quarterback competition like we're going to have this year. And let's pause for a moment. 
how much of a quarterback competition will it be? You know, is is Jeff Sims going to have a big leg up after spring that Casey Thompson's got a rally? It is funny. Like if you if you ask your listeners and you say, okay, what's the vibe? How many people are on Casey's team? Because Casey Thompson drew a lot of fans last year with what he put up with and what he endured and trying to get to the finish line. And then Jeff Sims comes in, and because of the familiarity from Matt Rule looking at Jeff Sims, they talk more about him, but you always see that Rule says, oh, but also Casey. You know, it's going to – I don't think it will divide the fan base, but it's for the first time kind of Elijah to your question. It is one of those things where people are like picking sides. You know, you either like the new shiny toy or you're like, you know what? I like what we had last year. I want to see that come through with a new offensive coordinator. But through it all, this is the best thing to happen, Nebraska, because I do believe that this will be the first test of Matt Rule to make this a fair competition because you can't fool guys in the locker room because they're going to be around these guys all the time. But this will be the first test to Matt Rule to see how he handles it. And, you know, like if, if Casey Thompson isn't the guy, what do you do to retain Casey Thompson to make sure that he's not going anywhere? Not that I'm saying that he will, but it's going to be the first test of Matt Rule to make a key decision that will move this football program forward. But it's going to be great. I, I think it's great for Nebraska. I think it's great they'll have so much competition during spring because you have so many bodies, scholarship bodies. Um, think about the first day they put on pads in that first scrimmage, what that's going to be like. you know. And even as we talk about two quarterbacks, it might not be a bad thing to have a to be the third string quarterback, right? This year, no, it it, it get groomed, learn, develop, get better, and then have a shot whenever that opening happens to go win the job. Sharpie, it is a chance for the, the your your other uh, big red uh, Andy Reid to make it happen tomorrow, uh, second Super Bowl championship third appearance for him Mahomes was a warrior just awesome against Cincinnati really manned up and Kansas City's fun they are absolutely fun you've loved the Chiefs forever Philly's a whole kind of wow factor with the what they've done lay out tomorrow for me who uh who you like I know who you like but what's your what's your uh, head say not your heart and uh could it be uh an all-timer tomorrow. I mean, do, do we have that type of matchup in front of us? It could be. I mean, these two teams are the best in the NFL this year. Number one seeds, the the two guys that were in the running for the MVP. Uh, I think Kansas City's offensive line is going to be tested. I think Philadelphia has the best O-line, D-line combo. Um, I don't think enough people are talking about Jalen Hurts' injury. Everybody wants to talk about Mahomes' ankle, and he's getting close to to being, you know, he's not, not going to be 100%, but I bet he's about 90 95%, which is huge for Kansas City because – Philadelphia struggles when guys get out of the pocket and they scramble. Um, You know, I I think Mahomes with his offensive line going against that really, really good defense and two of the better cornerbacks in the game, that's where the game is going to be won, Um, in in my opinion. I know everybody talks about defense. Can Kansas City stop Philadelphia running? I think Kansas City has to make some plays offensively, but I do think it's going to be a great game. I mean, it's kind of under the radar. The NBA has kind of stolen the thunder this week. And yeah. it's Philadelphia and Kansas City, and you know you have that week off, and it's like, uh, but I, I think we're in, I think we're in line for a really, really good game uh, tomorrow. And uh, of course, I'm hoping that Kansas City wins. I do think Kansas City will find a way to win. I had them 28-24. Gary, Gary that's is good this... score? That's that's what I had. <laughs> Gary, is You're this like, a oh, uh... God, gotta change it? Is this a is this a legacy defining game for Patrick Mahomes? 
Just in terms of uh, his grander career, you know that the, the salary cap hits going up over the next couple of years, so we'll see what the roster looks like. He's got a long career ahead of him, but is it is it too early to call this legacy defining? Yeah, I think so. Um, but, you know, and that's understandable, and he gets asked that. And, you know, five straight AFC championship games. This is his third Super Bowl in the five years he's been a starter. Uh, he's got one. There is a big difference, though, be- between being two and one and one and two. You could say, well, it's just one game. But man, just the perception of two and one to one and two. Um, I think Kansas City is actually in a good position moving forward because they drafted well. Their last two drafts have been fantastic, and they've got a lot of rookies that are that are key players. I mean, this is rare for Kansas City not to to, to have the success, and your quarterback is not on his rookie deal. You know, that's kind of usually where you have to strike because it does impact your cap, and you're not able to build a deep roster. It just kind of shows you how good Mahomes is and how good the front office is for Kansas City. I think another part of this, both of these front offices are really good in how they've constructed uh, both of these rosters. I, I, I really do believe that this is one of the better matchups we've had in a Super Bowl. Real quick, are you shocked that Kansas City is back where they're at without Hill? I mean, because he's done this without yeah. that guy opening up uh, the the rest of the offense, and they've still been able to be incredible. Yeah, and I, I think that's a testament to Mahomes. Um, you know, they went out and got guys that that you know, if they're going to change and not have the great Tyreek Hill, what do you have to do to have let Mahomes have? success and they went out and got the right wide receivers i think a lot of it shows that andy Reid has put guys in the right position um and then also it helps you have a tight end i mean you have you have one of the best tight ends in the history of the game that is open all the time which is crazy that also helps those guys on the field but you know i'll be curious that philadelphia's got two really good cornerbacks you know they've they've done a good job of shutting down wide receiver one kansas city probably has a wide receiver 1.5 a couple of those guys so that's another area where Mahomes will have to throw those guys open tomorrow and find big number 87 a lot. Gary, quickly, before, before, before we get yeah. you out, I know I told you last thought, Schmitty, but I got one more for you. <laughs> G- give me an under-the-radar guy that you think for the Chiefs needs to have a, a good game tomorrow for the Chiefs to get the win. Isaiah Pacheco, who is a rookie. I mean, he, yeah. he's Rock a guy push. that's going to run the football. I mean, Kansas City has to run the football against Philadelphia. Um, and he's a guy that has slowly, as the season's gone along, he's gotten more opportunities, he's played better. He's an under-the-radar guy I would look for for Kansas City. Charpy, uh, enjoy Fargo. I mean that. And uh, we'll uh, get caught up again next weekend. Thanks for the time, as always, bud. Thanks, guys. Enjoy uh, Nebraska-Wisconsin. That should be a fun atmosphere today. See you, man. There he is. Gary Sharp with us. Good to spend time with him. The Iron Horse. Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt back next weekend with the weekend edition of Hale Varsity. You can always find the show, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, subscribe, tell us what you think. And also also uh, the video portion of the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Elijah, get those uh, ribs marinated oh, and yeah. uh, thrown on the smoker. And uh, we'll check in uh, a little bit later over on KFOR with uh, a girl's boys basketball doubleheader right around five. Take care. Enjoy your Saturday. Thanks for listening uh, with Hale Varsity. A Huda Media Production.